Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian, joined by Scott McNear. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here again this month. And we got another episode for you today of The Basin Breakdown. Now, this will be reviewing all of the news through the month of May for eight major basins in the United States. So if you are new here, welcome. If this is not your first time, we're glad to see you again. And I think we'll just kick it off the way we always do with Colorado DJ Niall Brera. First article, Chevron announces an agreement to acquire PDC Energy. Chevron has agreed to acquire PDC Energy with a total enterprise value of $7.6 billion. The deal adds 275,000 net acres to Chevron's already dominant DJ Basin position, made stronger by the recent purchase of Noble Energy, and 25,000 acres to Chevron's Permian Basin portfolio, which is the central focus of Chevron's current development plan. The deal is expected to add $1 billion to Chevron's free cash flow and adds 10% to their approved oil equivalent reserves for under $7 per barrel. And I think this is probably the largest acquisition we saw so far this year, unless I'm missing something else. No, Tavis, I think you might be right on that. This is a big one. And I personally was surprised that that they acquired PDC. I figured they would probably try to stay in the Permian more, but I guess Chevron does like operating in Colorado. You know, they obviously bought Noble and wanted to get a bigger footprint. And this is one of the few large-sized companies that was actually going to make an impact on Chevron's bottom line in Colorado. But we'll get back to some other mergers later in the episode, Tavis. Uh, The next article in Colorado is there's a valuation of the capacity for water recycling for Colorado oil and gas extraction operations. The DJ Basin and the other oil and gas regions within Colorado are currently using twice the volume of fresh water as they were in 2013, as reported by Frack Tracker Alliance, an environmental group that tracks water usage on hydraulic fracturing jobs. The report indicates that the volume of wastewater produced by the oil and gas industry is more than the volume required for hydraulic fracturing operations, leading to the conclusion that all fracturing operations could be conducted using wastewater. Little is said in the article to propose means by which this water could be used. So, I mean, personally, Tavis, I think that uh, these statistics are all well and good, but it sounds like they were taken by someone who hasn't ever actually operated on a a hydraulic fracturing job or completed a well because Mm -hmm. it seems as though they're just assuming that wastewater is the same quality as fresh water and that you don't have to, you know, run lab tests and make sure that it has the right salinities and you have the right additives, et cetera, et cetera, which is being done. I'm sure it's being done in Colorado, but I know it's being done in North or I believe North Dakota and uh, definitely in New Mexico, uh, recycled produced water as well as Texas. And um, you know, they're, they're doing that, but you still needed some makeup fresh water to get your, get your chemicals balanced. Right. Yeah. I mean, a great idea in theory, but it does ultimately seem like a, A gross oversimplification of the process. A short month for Colorado, but now we move it over to Oklahoma and the Scoop Stack Basins. Our first article, Marathon Oil, like many other oil and gas operators, had an excellent Q1 2023. In their Oklahoma assets, they produced an average of 54,000 net barrels of oil equivalent per day, 12,000 of which was oil. The company is conducting a joint venture program under which they were able to bring five wells to sales in Q1. This is a competitive asset for Marathon, at least on an energy basis. Their Permian asset produced 45,000 net barrels of oil equivalent per day, and their Bakken asset produced 95,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. 
In short, Oklahoma assets are somewhere in the middle in the ranking of importance for the company's portfolio. And hey, great for them, but you know, you'd have to be dumb to not have good Q1 2023 results. So nothing too surprising there, but good volumes. I agree, Tavis. Um, you know, it's it's good to see that they're they're operating um how how they want to be, it appears, based on this uh, earnings release. And uh, it doesn't really surprise me that Oklahoma Asset is operating in the middle when you look at 54,000 net BOE and 12,000 as well. That means there's a lot of gas in there. Gas prices in Q1, you know, we're trending downward. So it's it's not really really a surprise that that's not going to be their their peak asset base Mm -hmm. uh, compared to the Permian. Let's head over to a different operator, Tavis. Uh, We're where more Garvin County wells are coming online for Continental Resources. Continental Resources, one of the largest players in the scoop stack, recently filed completion reports for two wells on a single pad that showed combined production of about 1,400 barrels of oil per day. These wells, called the Moonraker Wells, are located north of Ratliff City in Garvin County, Oklahoma, and were completed in February 2023. Combined gas production on the wells was 5,500 MCF per day, meaning the wells had an average GOR of 3.9 MCF per barrel of oil. That's quite a bit of gas, Tavis. Still, you got to give it to a Moonraker. Very cool name. Next, and final for the Oklahoma area, Target Resources Corporation reports their first quarter 2023 financial results. Targa reported on its Q1 results and discussed its gathering and arterial pipeline infrastructure briefly within its filings. The gathering and midstream infrastructure in the Scoop Stack, Ardmore, and other areas of Oklahoma had an operating margin of $947.2 million in Q1 of 2022, and they had an operating margin of $1.1 billion in Q1 of 2023. The $192.2 million increase in operating margin represented an increase of 20%. Commodity price increase drove this, and uh, it's evidence of their gathering and processing contracts are tied pretty heavily to commodity prices. And in that same vein, I imagine that uh, as we progress further into this year, the operating margin is probably going to go down with those commodity prices. I mean, yeah, probably to some extent, Tavis. Uh, you know, the midstream still, I feel, has little bit more of an upper hand than the the operators because they're still the ones you know maintaining their pipelines kind of especially in target's case they're so large they they can kind of dictate a lot of the contracts that get put in place for new wells and and some of the smaller operators just have to either go along with it or you know pay more expensive routes of getting their oil and gas off location that pretty much wraps it up for the scoop stack. Let's head on over to where Tavis just uh, came back from, California, <laughs> where California state regulators are tied up with several oil companies being sued over new gas and well permits. The Center for Biological Diversity, among other signers, sued California regulatory agencies for approving the drilling of 15 new wells on the Thumbs Islands in Long Beach Harbor that sit over the Wilmington oil field. Despite the fact that this facility has over 1,200 wells drilled from its several man-made offshore islands, it remains a linchpin of political debate. Critics argue that oil slicks the islands could generate might float across the bay and possibly endanger the territory of the California coast horned lizard that lives across the bay from the islands. The granted permits have been revoked pending legislation. And, you know, I mean, this is just another environmental group in California putting in 
putting in a lawsuit to try to slow things down. I, not really a surprise for the state, not really a surprise for the operators, not really a surprise for the regulatory commission. I think it's just uh, going to be more of this for the foreseeable future in the state, Tavis. Yeah, and I mean, I understand their heart is in the right place. I say that all the time, but it's 15 wells on Thumbs Island. And from what I understand, they're pretty much producing 99% plus water. So I don't think they could generate enough of an oil slick. Worst case scenario to even get back to the coast, but it just feels like there's better places they could put their efforts than these 15 wells. But that's neither here nor there. Next, California Supreme Court is to hear arguments over Monterey oil gas drilling restriction. Monterey County banned hydraulic fracturing and instituted a set of rules intended to phase out wastewater disposal in 2016 and was taken to court over whether or not state laws about land use superseded these bans. This measure, known as Measure Z, received a tremendous amount of populist support. The article mentioning that the oil industry put together a $5.4 million legal and advertising campaign to combat this measure, but the opposition still took 56% of the vote. So to add a little clarity here for our listeners, Tavis, um, it looks like upon further research, this uh, this article actually um, is a case of Chevron versus the county of Monterey and uh, went all the way to the California Supreme Court. So we're just waiting waiting the results of this this litigation, essentially, and we'll see how it comes out and we'll keep everybody posted moving forward. Our next article and final article in California is that a California bill would hit oil companies with a $1 million penalty for health impacts. A new California bill might allow for those who live near oil and gas production and exploration operations to sue companies for breathing issues and other maladies that they develop and think are ascribable to oil and gas facilities. This new law allows for payouts between $250,000 and $1 million, with potentials for doubling and tripling the payouts. According to Frack Tracker, 2.76 million Californians live in an area close enough to production operations to be affected by them. An element of this law is that production companies would be assumed guilty until they prove themselves innocent of the accusations. I can't say that I could put it past anything in California, but I would be surprised if this actually becomes a law because it sets a lot of precedents for a lot of other states and just in general that doesn't seem like the best way to decide if someone deserves a payout. Nor the easiest thing to prove. I mean, there's so many different factors that could come into someone having asthma. So yeah, I'm with you. I think this would be really nuts. And I know it's a bit sensationalist, that last sentence, but guilty until proven innocent. That does seem less than ideal for operators in California. But that wraps it up for the state. Next, we go over to the Marcellus Basin, where... We have more news on environmentalists. Ohio environmentalists and oil companies battle state over dumping of wastewater. Pennsylvania was able in 2021 to recycle 93% of the produced water from hydraulic fracturing while concurrently hitting a record high 7.6 TCF of gas produced. There is contention in Ohio over the fact that a much lower volume of wastewater is reinjected in completion jobs. More wastewater is spread out onto roads and is reinjected into wastewater injection wells in Ohio than in Pennsylvania. Local landowners and certain members of the oil and gas industry, troublingly those who own wastewater injection firms, insist that the practice of spreading produced water out onto dirt roads to mitigate dust will lead to the contamination of drinking water aquifers. And I guess it kind of depends what's in that wastewater, right? Is it just produced water or is it 
stuff loaded up uh, for a hydraulic fracturing cocktail. I mean, either way, probably not something you want to pour on the surface for generations. I mean, yeah, you definitely need to get some sort of analysis on that, Tavis, but it's not uncommon in the oil field, and whether it's right or wrong or or neither, I mean, it's been done in Texas and Pennsylvania and Ohio, obviously, but it does seem that the the industry out there is doing a 93% of uh, of recycle rate, which is good, and, um, you know, it it is possible that some of the people that are being the squeakiest of wheels own those injection wells as well. Our next story, a Philadelphia LNG export facility would advance global security and environmental goals. Pennsylvania State Senator Gene Yaw, chairman of the Pennsylvania Senate Energy and Environmental Resources Committee, said recently, quote, boosting American LNG exports, of which a Philadelphia port makes entirely possible, has the potential to reduce these harmful emissions at a rate equivalent to electrifying every car in the country installing solar on every home and doubling our wind capacities combined, end quote. He maintains that the construction of a Philadelphia LNG export terminal would allow Pennsylvania to capitalize on the lucrative LNG market as America's second largest gas producing state and being strategically positioned to be able to supply European LNG markets. And I mean, this would be a big thing for the state of uh, Pennsylvania, Davis. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, timeline on getting something like this done because that's a really massive project but there is certainly you know new markets to be found not only just in europe but even to to parts of asia and africa that that would benefit from being able to use lng going across the atlantic yeah that would be a huge benefit to both the city and the state but we keep it moving on to the powder river where Anschutz sees growth and potential in the powder river basin in an interview, Anschutz CEO Joe DeDominic discussed the bright future that the company sees in the Powder River. He mentions the progression towards three-mile Niobrara wells in the basin and innovation being piloted by Devon. He discussed the confidence he has in Anschutz's large inventory in the basin, which is largely centered on Campbell County. He mentions also some Uinta and Peons testing that is diverting one of Anschutz's four Powder River rigs for a few months in the upcoming year on the drilling calendar. So good to see them active, and uh, I hope they can keep that up through depressed commodity pricing. Yeah, and it's always good to see some new some new technologies uh, innovating. Uh, you know, three-mile lateral, that's a big deal. I don't know how efficient it is compared to a, a two miles currently, but I'm sure that they're still working on, on dropping costs and and getting better return on them. So I'm, I'm glad to see that that people are trying new things and that uh, new ideas are being innovated. Going on to the next story here in the Powder Tevis, uh, 1876 Resources acquires gas gathering pipeline infrastructure. 1876 Resources, a subsidiary of Deutsche Rustoff USA Incorporated and formerly known as Cub Creek Energy, has agreed to purchase an existing gas gathering system in the Powder River Basin. The transaction includes 36.8 miles of pipeline, surface tanks, and other equipment. The gathering system connects 1876 resources pads and has a capacity of 5,000 MCF per day with options to expand that capacity. With this step towards vertical integration, the firm expects to reduce gathering fee expenses by about $2 million annually. Dang. And that's a big number. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's it's not a huge volume going through that capacity, that those pipelines. So, I mean, two million drop in uh, your deduct costs is a is a big deal each year. Yeah, I'm all about vertical integration. 
But that wraps it up for Powder River. We're going to move it to Texas, starting with the Permian, of course. Don't worry, we'll get to the Eagleford. Be patient. In the Permian, $141 million in Permian Basin oil and gas deal is finalized as more companies are moving into the region. Kimball Royalty Partners completed a deal mid-May on 60,000 acres in Howard and Borden counties. The asset includes 806 royalty acres, 5.3 million barrels approved reserves, three active rigs, 300 producing wells, and a partridge and a pear tree. Just kidding, not that last part. Another firm, Epsilon Energy, based in Houston, announced a deal wherein it will purchase a 25% interest in 12,373 acres in Ector County for $14 million. This follows their recent election to participate as non-op working interest partners in several Delaware Basin projects recently. And this is, wow, they, they bought everything in the kitchen sink. This is this is cool. Yeah, there's a lot of M&A happening in the Permian, Tavis. Uh, you know, little teaser for next month, but I'm excited to talk about one then as well. But this <laughs> this story, I mean, that's, that's a lot of acreage and cash and production changing hands. Going into some regulatory news, the U.S. Permian natural gas flaring could rise in 2024, a report says. The EIA recently published a report showing that natural gas production in the Permian Basin is set to outpace the increase in pipeline capacity, inevitably leading to increased flaring in the basin. Presently, the Permian is producing 5.7 million barrels of oil per day and 22.5 billion cubic feet of gas per day. Justin Carlson, a chief commercial officer at energy consulting firm East Daily Analytics, said that the natural gas takeaway capacity can be restricted by, quote, commercial and regulatory reasons, end quote. New pipelines are slated to come online by May of 2024, which will likely put at least nameplate takeaway capacity ahead of natural gas production in the basin. And I mean, that is, uh, that's always been a problem since the horizontal drilling revolution kicked off in the Permian. Uh, keeping up with the amount of gas uh, in the pipeline capacity has always been mm-hmm. uh, a planning pinch point, if you will. Um, I would be interested to know how much of that outpace comes from the New Mexico side of the Permian and the Delaware Basin versus the Texas side, because I know that next New Mexico has implemented some very strict flaring regulations, which effectively would cause people to shut in rather than to flare. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but I just don't see Texas being able to go to the EPA and say, well, all the operators hey, we don't have the takeaway capacity, so we're going to have to start flaring. Uh, in this political climate, I don't see that happening. Not to say that it couldn't happen in many more years, but I'll believe it when I see it. Next, Vital Energy signs a $540 million deal to buy assets in the Permian Basin. Vital Energy signed that $540 million deal to purchase 70% of NCAP's Forge Energy 70% of NCAP's Forge Energy 2's Delaware Basin assets and will retain operating control. A third party will purchase the other 30% of the interest for about $162 million. This will increase Vital Energy's holdings in West Texas by 42,000 gross acres to a total of 198,000 acres. The acreage is in Pecos, Reeves, and Ward counties. Well, for those of you keeping score at home, um... Vital Energy, in case you don't remember, used to be called Laredo Petroleum, another one of the companies that changed. Um, Was it last year? Yeah, last year, a couple years ago. Seemingly, I mean, I'm sure there were multiple reasons, but to get petroleum out of the name is (laughs) my guess. But uh, I'm I'm glad that they're still moving. I know that they're a pretty pretty nimble company typically, and uh, it's good to see that they're growing and and keeping their asset base with some 
some good production to uh, to continue building their portfolio. Well, let's go to our last article in the Permian, Tavis, uh, kind of a state of the basin, if you will. Uh, an expert says Permian Basin economy is holding strong. Mickey Cargyle of Cargyle Investment Management, a wealth management firm headquartered in Midland, was optimistic about the Midland economy in a recent interview. Commodity prices have fallen from 2022 highs, but WTI has held steady at around $70 per barrel for several months, which has lent some stability to the West Texan economy. Cargyle indicated that unemployment is at 2.8% in Midland, indicating that there is more jobs than workers. Texas is probably the place to be at these commodity prices, because even though it's not the same as $70 of pre-pandemic, I mean, 2.8% unemployment, that's not too bad. And I think they can actually, with their lifting costs, survive at these prices. And keeping it in Texas, moving it over to the Eagleford, Callan signs a double deal to buy assets in the Permian and quits the Eagleford. Callan Petroleum Company has signed a deal to purchase Permian producer Percussion Petroleum Operating 2 in a cash and stock deal valued at $475 million. This comes with 18,000 net acres and 70 drilling locations. The existing production from this acreage is 14,100 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Concurrently, Gallon signed a deal with Ridgemar Energy Operating to sell its Eagleford acreage for $655 million all cash. This deal includes 52,000 net acres with 16,300 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Both production streams are all about 70% oil and on an energy basis. You know, I mean, I guess that's just the way that Callan's upper management wanted to move out of the Eagleford, and they saw a good deal and took it. I don't blame them for that. And uh, hopefully this this acquisition trade, if you will, it's not really a trade, I guess, but the purchase and sale um, works out in their favor, and hopefully oil prices continue to support it. Yep. The next story in the Eagleford is... Ineos completes major $1.4 billion acquisition of U.S. onshore oil and gas assets. U.K.-based Ineos completed the previously announced $1.4 billion acquisition of Chesapeake's assets in South Texas. This is one of several transactions in the slow divestiture of Chesapeake's South Texas assets, a strategic decision they are pursuing in order to pare down on oily assets to focus on gassier assets. Well, I mean... That's now UK and last month Japan. We've got lots of people getting involved in the Eagleford. Well, and you know, like the companies from Europe and you said Japan, you know, that they're looking to hedge some of their natural gas. And even though it's really low pricing currently in the US, I mean, it's it's, it's time, to, time buy. to buy and, and hedge and get ready to, to ship it wherever you're going to ship it, I guess. Let's see how much of that keeps growing. Lastly, for Eagleford and Texas as a whole, Crescent Energy announces accretive Eagleford bolt-on. Crescent Energy Company announced that it will acquire operational rights and increase working interests in its existing western Eagleford assets. These properties are currently operated by Mesquite Energy, whose interests are being turned over to Crescent Energy for $600 million in cash. The deal is set to close in Q3 of 2023, and the target zones in this area are the Upper Eagleford and the Austin Chalk. You know, Tavis is another M&A. It seems like that's kind of been the, the story of the year so far in the Eagleford. So Man, ho- hopefully, few years. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it works out for all these companies. And um, I'm excited to see what happens in the second half of the year when when these com- when everybody starts actually settling into these their new assets and uh, hopefully can 
can make something out of what other people decided they didn't want anymore. That pretty much rounds it up for the Eagleford, though. Uh, let's head on north to the Wilston uh, Basin. I believe that's our final basin. So to start out, ExxonMobil sells all of its Wilston assets, speaking of MMAs. <laughs> XTO Energy, the U.S. onshore subsidiary of ExxonMobil, has agreed to sell its Williston Basin assets to Cord Energy for $375 million, exiting ExxonMobil from the basin. The asset is 62,000 acres, 77% of which is undeveloped. This makes for 123 net two-mile lateral locations. Currently, the asset produces 6,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Cord is the heir of the Oasis Petroleum and Whiting Petroleum merger after both entities exited bankruptcy, and it has since added other assets to its portfolio, including some acreage previously owned by the now Permian pure player Diamondback Energy. And I mean, that's not really a surprising M&A to me, Tavis. I used to work at Whiting, so I know that they're constantly looking for more and more tier one, tier two assets in North Dakota. They're, now that they've merged with Oasis, another big operator up there, um, they just want to make sure they've got running room for the coming years. And if they could get a good deal with Exxon and Exxon wants out, I mean, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't take it. Exactly. Seems in their best interest. Next, the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference returns to Regina, Canada. The 30th annual Williston Basin Petroleum Conference took place in Regina, Saskatchewan this year. The conference included the first Saskatchewan Carbon Capture, Utilization, and Storage Summit ever held as an appendage of the Petroleum Conference. Saskatchewan is the fifth largest oil and gas producing state, province, in North America and provides employment for around 30,000 people. You know, the main thing that I take away from this con- uh, from this story, Tavis, isn't so much that there was a conference in Saskatchewan, but um, just that people sometimes can forget that the Williston Basin, you know, it's it's a little it's it's not bound by state borders. or board or <laughs> you know national borders, and that it does squeak up into Canada there, and and Saskatchewan is is as interested when they're able to. Obviously, the mineral rights are a little different, but in developing that acreage as much as the U.S. and and making it profitable. Finally, our last article for the Basin, next era stock price jumps as gas pipeline sales mean it won't have to issue equity. Next era Energy Partners was faced with the prospect of having to issue equity to investors who had purchased an interest in a certain portfolio of the company's assets until a deal was struck to divest its Williston pipeline assets. The proceeds from the sale will be used to settle up with these special interest owners. This asset was the sole fossil fuel-related asset in its renewable energy-focused portfolio. Well, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't know what to take away from that other than uh, sounds like people were just glad the debt got off the books. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's about the most obvious thing. Otherwise, maybe, I don't know, they qualified for something with the renewable energy aspect. But I guess we'll just wait and see what comes out next month. And wait until next month we shall, because that is the end of this episode of the Basin Breakdown. Again, that was all the news from May through all of our favorite basins. And if you want some more news, you can always go dive into it a little deeper with our News Pulse pages. If you got a favorite basin, you can go there, find this news, along with other statistics, including rig counts, production of oil, gas, things like that. And while you're there, we've got plenty of other things on www.rarepetro.com. 
Also, if you're uh, interested in the basins specifically, one of our interns, Nick Bryan, is going to be putting out a more specific basin article coming out soon that we highly recommend uh, diving into more of the, you know, the, the Delaware, the, the Uinta, those type of smaller basins. And, and hopefully, if we get good enough ga- engagement, we'll keep that going with some, some interesting stats of the, the smaller areas. Absolutely. I mean, after all, this information is free. It's pretty helpful for anyone, I would argue, in the energy industry. So keep engaging with it. Hit that follow button and keep an eye out for other content. But this has been Tavis Killian and Scott McNear with Rare Petro. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 